it's harder for merchants to understand what problem they're solving for. So we thought maybe if answering a few questions, you could get a lot more depth and understanding of what the problems the customer is experiencing, what their goals are, and then how you position your product and your marketing accordingly. In my conversation today with Gen Furukawa, we talked about the future of e-commerce, how quizzes simulate the interactions with customers in a store, NFTs, environments as it relates to capitalism, Web3, and Gen's life as a digital nomad. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope that you do too. So yeah, how's it going, Jen? Nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much, Connor. Nice to uh, nice to connect. Yeah, how are you doing today? Fantastic. I am. Uh, yeah, in, in Austin, it's like ninety degrees, and play basketball. In you know, in the weeds, there's always content to create and things to think about in, in the e-commerce marketing world. So busy, happy, productive, doing well. Awesome. That's that's so good to hear. I wanted to get started. I want to. Um, I know that you you're on quite a lot of other podcasts, and I've I've heard you speak uh, in great depths about quizzes. And it seems that you know an awful lot about marketing, but I wanted to know, you know, who you are and uh, how you came to be interested in what you do now. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. That's that's a, a unique way to start, and I appreciate it. Yeah. So I am. Uh, I'm based in Austin, Texas. Uh, born and raised in in New York City, and ended up in Austin from California. I was uh, working for a company called Jungle Scout, which is an Amazon product research tool. Helps people find products to sell on Amazon. And uh, we started remote. I was living in San Francisco at the time. And yeah, we, we opened an office in Austin when the team started to grow uh, and we needed a headquarters. So that was in 2018, um, which brought me here. And I, I just bring that up because the people that I'm working with now were also um, part of the founding team at Jungle Scout. So we started working together in 2015. My co-founders are As and Diedrich and their developers kind of like built out the first version of the web app in, in Jungle Scout. So yeah, we, we have a long history of working together and, and work well together, which has been fantastic and a lot of fun. Um, and in 2020, kind of like in the middle of the pandemic, we had, we'd all uh, left Jungle Scout at that point, kind of doing our own thing and realized that we wanted to work together. And stay in the e-commerce space, but more in the Shopify space. So Amazon marketing is really focused around SEO and paid ads. So you might have your listing and you're optimizing your listing to focus on people searching for a specific widget. But Shopify is different. So Shopify, people might land on your site and you can have just like maybe one product, like let's say it's a multivitamin, but people end up there for lots of different reasons. Maybe it's uh, for to improve their immunity system, or maybe it's to improve sleep, or maybe it's just for general health or aging. Uh, whatever it is, people might have different needs. And it's harder for merchants to understand what problem they're solving for. So we thought maybe if answering a few questions, you could get a lot more depth and understanding of uh, what the problems the customer is experiencing, what their goals are, and then how you position your product and your marketing accordingly. We did a, a fair amount of customer research, started building out the product we launched in 2021. Um, and at this point, we're, we're growing. Hundreds of uh, Shopify merchants are using our product, getting a lot of value out of it. And in the course of launching, uh, the like the macro state of marketing has changed a lot, which I'm sure you're aware of and uh, and your listeners are as well in terms of iOS 14 launches, iOS 15 um, third-party cookies being deprecated, um, or, or that that's kind of like coming later in, in maybe 2023, 2024, GDPR and, and basic privacy issues. All that's to say that the reliance of direct-to-consumer brands on 
ad networks, you know, like Facebook, Google, YouTube, Instagram, uh, the cost per clicks have been increasing. The targeting has become more nebulous, harder to, to create targeted campaigns and therefore cost per acquisition in general has increased. So uh, there's a real urgency and need for merchants to understand their customers better as in capturing zero party data and build a direct relationship with them. So uh, that could be email, that could be SMS, uh, but basically owned channels as opposed to paying for ads, which you know Zuckerberg could be raising, uh, raising rates on ad clicks you know, very quickly. And so, yeah, this important importance and urgency of gathering customer data has really changed uh, the landscape of what we thought we were building uh, when we started in 2020. I really want to talk about this further. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you know, customers are smartening up. You know, I myself have Brave, the browser, and sure. I don't see any ads ever. Like, I jailbroke my phone. I don't want to see ads ever again. What do you think that's going to do to Shopify, to Magneto, all of these companies that rely on sort of, you know, that funnel? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Magneto, I, I thought of, uh, what is Magneto is Marvel? Uh, yeah. yeah. I, you're referring oh, yeah, to Magento. Magento. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. My... Um, yeah, so w- what it'll do, I think, is is basically like brands are moving away uh, in terms of their marketing spend and marketing mix moving away from paid ads. And so there's more focus on like customer experience is what I've been seeing a lot of. So uh, it, it is having a brand, it's putting forward the narrative of uh, the founder's story and the product and uh, the benefits of your product I, I, I measured against what the customer's needs are. So that's where personalization just kind of at a high level is becoming more important. And I think one way to differentiate your customer experience, your brand experience and shopping experience from other competitors. So um, whereas say in, in 2015, it was far easier to sell a widget, you know, slap your private label on it and then put it out there. And then you're optimizing your, your listing or you're running ads to a, a landing page uh, that's been optimized. Now that's not so much the case because uh, the barriers to entry have lowered. So it's easier um, to launch a product. Um, so that's where the narrative becomes more important. I think that's where what you know about your customers becomes really important. So there's this thing called the customer experience gap. And um, the customer experience gap, I think, is a huge opportunity. Basically, customers are looking for personalized experiences and will reward those brands that give them personalized experiences uh, in the form of higher average order value, more repeat purchases, um, and ultimately higher lifetime value. But those that do not execute on that uh, are, are just not going to uh, kind of like keep pace and won't get the wallet share of the brands that personalize. Um, the challenge is, and where the gap comes in, is that brands are struggling to deliver on that. So whether it is a matter of the data that they have, because ultimately personalization comes down to uh, what data, you, what you know about somebody that you're going to be sending them um, a particular campaign or automation or segment them in a certain way. If you don't have anything of that nature, then you can't really personalize. You have nothing to personalize on. Um, and so those brands that don't have the data and uh, aren't using even what they do have will fall behind and that customer experience gap will, will remain. Um, but those brands that do execute on it effectively will see um, an increase in uh, average order value in, in conversion rate and uh, all the things that contribute to top line revenue. So anyway, that's it's a long answer to uh, 
uh, your question of how the, the change in data availability can impact e-commerce merchants. And so that's my take on it. It probably links quite nicely to, um, to your company. Can you explain um, to people who aren't familiar uh, how your quizzes work and what you're trying to do to connect that customer gap? Yeah, totally. Um, so the uh, basically a, a, an e-commerce quiz, we can start there, is just um, answering a few questions, likely uh, also capturing a lead. So that's an email or SMS and then recommending a product. So if you think of walking into a brick and mortar store where you have a sales associate who's asking you a few questions like, hey, Connor, um, what are you in the market for? What brings you in the store? What challenges are you having now? And, and, and then the sales associate is maybe thinking through how to solve Connor's specific needs with the products that we have in our inventory. And so it's essentially a quiz is doing that at scale. So um, there, there are a lot of uh, the highest DTC brands uh, or high growth DCC brands, you might think of Warby Parker or um, Hims or Hers or Roman. So yeah, basically these brands will be leveraging quizzes in their shopping experience um, to kind of like guide you to simplify the buying process. Um, so in the same way that you're walking into a store, the quiz acts as the same way to um, simplify the buying process for you. Yes, that's a very uh, simple analogy. Something that's interesting, I guess, with the quiz is like when you speak to somebody in a store, you have like ad infinitum possibilities, you know, as to, I mean, only limited by what the store can sell you. Is it the same in a quiz or, or is it more kind of like tailored to make people make a choice? How, how does that like logic work? So you mean to recommend a product or not? Yeah, I guess I'm saying like, is is the quiz tailored to you know push a product or is it tailored to explore options for the customer? I see. Yeah, yeah. Great question. So um, it could be either. Uh, essentially, it kind of depends on the main goal of um, of the product. So, for example, there's a product recommendation quiz, and so we have a lot of our customers that use a product recommendation quiz. So, based on Connor's needs, so we might ask some basic information like. Uh, what's your gender? What's your age? Uh, and let's say, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, for multivitamin. Uh, what maybe like, what's your, your health routine or, or what are you trying to achieve? Then, then recommending a product might make sense. And so one, one company that we have that uses our product is called um, Teelixer. And so that's like an adaptogen brand, a mushroom tea. And they're seeing great success with the quiz because people don't necessarily know which adaptogen tea is right for them because how many people actually know um, or are familiar with mushroom-based teas? Even though it's an ancient ancient adaptogen or, or medicine, um, it's relatively new to the modern consumer. So that's where a quiz can simplify things and, and, and break it down in ways that we're familiar with. So we do know what problem we're having or, or what health challenges we're having, but we don't know how that relates to whether it's a lion's mane mushroom or a reiki mushroom. Uh, we do know what tastes we like, but we don't know uh, what specific flavors of tea elixir makes sense. So uh, that's where pairing the kind of like ingesting the the information of what the customer is looking for and then recommending a product makes sense. But there are other examples, like like let's say Beard Brand, for example. So uh, Beard Brand is a uh, is a big men's hair men's care brand. 
Um, they started with selling razors. They sell other things like shampoo, fragrances, facial products. They have a personality quiz. So that's one that's a little bit more uh, like fun and whimsical and less about putting a product that makes sense to the uh, to the shopper. And instead, it's more about like gathering data, I think. So you're you're saying like, all right, what what are you, uh, the, the type of quiz, the premise of the quiz is what type of beardsman are you? Basically, like out of six categories of potential men are you, what are you? And then that's just their way of gathering this data about you. So the, and then um, the email. And then from there, they're using that to segment and create more targeted campaigns uh, via email and, and SMS. Very cool. So right now it's a sort of, you know, text-based platform. Do you see for Prehook or other quiz companies like adopting like an AI assistant that actually has a phone call with customers? Yeah. Um, what do you think about the future? Question. That's a great question. I think that video is big. I think that live video is big. I think if you look at China, for example, China is a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of e-commerce and tech adoption. Uh, they do a lot of uh, live calls um, or, or live sales, kind of like um, in America, there's QVC, Home Shopping Network, that kind of stuff. Um, but there, it's done on mobile. And there are people that are selling millions of dollars on each call. Um, that's not a quiz per se. Um, it's more of like a video-based selling. But in essence, it, it kind of like captures some of what we're trying to do in terms of uh, learning about customers or showing uh interacting with customers and, and kind of like demoing the product. So yeah, I think I think ideally down the line, we can get to a place where uh, video is one way. So uh, Typeform actually has a video-based quiz product called Video Ask. And so that's more like, you know, pre-recorded video and then it's like choose your own adventure. Um, so uh, we do Sorry, have Sorry, just before you go on, can you just yeah. um, explain how Typeform ties into, into Prehook? And, oh, and it, it doesn't at all. Okay. It, it doesn't, yeah. Um, their type form, you know, is a quiz and survey platform and they, they have a great product, but not really so, um, so applicable to e-commerce in terms of the integrations and third-party apps on it. But I, I just use that as an example of where like video works nicely in a quiz based platform. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, when you speak to, um, suppliers in China, it is kind of overwhelming or just different when, you know, they hit you up on WeChat and they really, they really give you the time. That's something that's, that's yeah. lacking in Western e-commerce is just um, put up put up the automation. Customers will you know go through the process, but in China it's like, hey, how's it going, dear? And then oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay oh so you, you have um, are you an e-commerce seller as well? Oh no 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 I, I did I did sell some just when I started working here um, just to learn the ropes and you know understand e-commerce. It's funny actually I, I got a video gig yesterday um, with an NFT company. Oh, nice. And then, I, and then I checked out your Twitter this morning and I was like, sweet, let's, let's dive into NFTs. Totally. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's a little off topic from uh, e-commerce and quizzes, but I am uh, working on an NFT, kind of like a side project, NFT analytics tool. Um, okay, cool. So if, if you, if you want to hear about it, happy to, to go into NFTs and Web3 stuff. Yeah, no, we, we, uh, people are very interested in that for sure. Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, and, cool. I mean, myself as well. Yeah. Uh, so what we're building is called the Yeti.xyz. So um, it's basically a, an NFT analytics tool. Um, so assuming we're kind of like on the same page with uh, what NFTs are um, and 
And the, the way that they are purchased uh, on a secondary market is often on OpenSea. So OpenSea is kind of like the biggest secondary market where people are uh, buying, selling, discovering, trading NFTs. The challenge is that for NFTs, a lot of the value is derived from the rarity. So right now there's a lot of uh, popular, one of the popular trends is like profile pictures. So that's why if you scroll down Twitter, you won't see anybody's real face anymore. It'll be like, you know, a pixelated punk and crypto punk, or it'll be a, an ape, you know, a bored ape or a mutant ape. Um, so these like profile pictures kind of like have taken over Twitter in some sense. And it's the rarity that dictates the value. Uh, the only challenge is how do you actually quantify the rarity? So um, there, are, there are tools that do that, but that's basically what our tool is doing is to um, is a Chrome extension for when you're on OpenSea, it will quickly show you what the rarity is of a given project. And then mm. therefore, if you're um, kind of like looking to get into a project, you can quickly understand the rarity to, um, to know if your the asset, the NFT that you may buy is underpriced or overpriced, you know? So um, it's just kind of to give a compass for, um, for buyers, collectors, investors to know, um, to know the, maybe the true value of an NFT. Cool. How does that work under the hood? Is it like scanning lots of different chains and layers or is it just uh, well, looking so on the marketplaces? Yeah, great question. So it's it's strictly at this point, just for Ethereum and OpenSea. OpenSea is, um, they are, they've released Solana NFTs. So uh, that's kind of like a, a separate thing. But under the hood, um, each profile picture would have like a, a group of characteristics. So um, let's just say, for example, it's like the the face and the expression, the eyes, the hat. And so there are a certain number of each of these traits. And the so we're, we're calculating based on kind of the frequency that, that a certain trait might appear. So out of 10,000 NFTs, um, you, you can have kind of like a, a rating based on uh, an aggregation of these different traits and how often they're appearing. And ultimately, you, you're able to rank... Uh, whether it's a hundred or five thousand or ten thousand or or more, um, you're able to rank how these are based on rarity, and then from there you can see like where uh, where an NFT might fit in, in in kind of like the grand scheme of rarity and value. Okay, so is this plugin free, or would users pay for this? Uh, so we're we're still building it, and probably will be live in six weeks or so. And uh, the the pricing still TBD. We'll definitely have parts of it that will be free. Um, and then we'll have parts of it that will be kind of feature gated behind a paywall. Yeah, fair enough. That's genius. That's that's probably yeah. yeah something that is very hard to understand when you're like you know browsing NFTs is just the disconnect between value and hype. So something that you're trying to fix there is uh, is probably pretty pretty useful for people. Totally. And and yeah, apologies if that was kind of like off the deep end because um, I've like. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a crazy, wacky world in some ways, and I'm like deep down the rabbit hole. So um, the fact that people be like, "Who cares about this?" Well, it's uh, <laughs> a, a whole different subject. But uh, I do think that there is going to be a close intersection between e-commerce and NFTs. Don't think we're there yet, but you know, Shopify is rolling out their uh, beta of their NFT platform on Shopify Plus, so brands will be able to uh, mint and distribute NFTs. From, directly from Shopify. The only challenge is for there to for that to really work. That like ideally a brand has a significant following already, and and there's demand 
for for a, an, an NFT that's been released. So you've seen Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, they've all kind of like partnered and, and done their own thing with NFTs. Um, and then when you fast forward a few years, maybe, um, and everybody is kind of building out their own metaverse, uh, like avatar and, and clothing, then it might make more sense. Like, oh, you got these, you know, Nike shoes, uh, NFT. And so that's, that's kind of like where the intersection of NFTs and e-commerce might come. Do NFTs actually get moved? Like it's on chain, it's on a ledger, you know, uh, forever. And then you say to OpenSea or Shopify, I'm going to buy that NFT. Does it actually move? You know, can you explain that process to me? Because I'm kind of skeptical as to if it actually moves or if it gets kind of, you know, meta tagged as not there anymore and it's now here. So I'm not a developer and I'm not technical in that sense. Um, but I think that the way it would work, and, and so you can go to etherscan.io, for example, like, and you can link to that from any uh, OpenSea page for any asset. Mm-hmm. And what, what does happen is a transaction occurs where ownership is transferred from Connor to Gen. Uh, and so that is uh, written into the ledger and it is immutable and it is uh, undisputable and it is permissionless. So it, it happens, um, you know, if I, if I buy it from you via OpenSea or mm-hmm. any other platform, um, then yeah, ownership of that transfers from your wallet to my wallet. And it, it, you can see it on, uh, on OpenSea. So there's a transaction hash that occurs with that sale. And from that point, it is full, you know, it's all, all of this on the blockchain is fully public, you know, permissionless. So I think that's where, yeah, to answer your question, it's not moved per se, but ownership and, and wallet ownership is transferred. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to try and convince the public of that value. But um, but, I mean, you know, the only thing I can see now is like the art, the JPEGs for, you know, Twitter profiles. What do you actually foresee um, if any people selling on Shopify through NFTs? Yeah. So uh, you've seen, or, or there are brands that are doing this. Um, like let's say some of these brands like um, Board Apes, they launched a limited release merch. So you have to be a token holder of a Board Ape in order to buy the hat, the sweatshirt, the, the, uh, the basketballs, jerseys. Um, and so the way it works like on Shopify is they validate that you have, that you're holding the token. And then you're able to add it to cart and, and check out. Um, but it's all gated by, by that validation, um, basically scanning your wallet. Uh, so that's probably the, the most uh, like realistic and, and next use case is uh, that certain it's, it's exclusive drops. Um, other ways are loyalty. So loyalty, um, because ultimately an NFT can grant access and and build communities. So if you hold an NFT, let's say it's like, you know, your your uh, board ape and Adidas collaboration with that NFT that you're holding, you can maybe get um, exclusive access to events for um, only board ape and, and Adidas, or it could be uh, like um, research groups, p- private beta research groups for particular products, or it could be yeah, like a a loyalty card, and people are getting airdropped. Uh, basically sent things for free because they hold it. So uh, a lot of it is basically the equivalent of like a loyalty card or a VIP card um, that people are commonly aware of and use. 
Um, but this is just like maybe a different way of transacting in that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a lovely description. Yeah. I'm keen to see how that plays out. Um, yeah, I do. I do. I am very interested in the governance aspect of the whole thing. Um, but I'm, I'm just kind of skeptical as to if it's building community or if it's just building another, you know, veneer of exclusivity, but I guess we'll just find out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, but that's part of it. And that's why the value of CryptoPunks is so astronomical is because well, first is because it was the first, but then mm-hmm. also you might see people like Jay-Z are, are part of it or or Snoop Dogg or Serena Williams. And so they're all CryptoPunks holders. In being a CryptoPunk holder, you all of a sudden have like access to them and you're part of a group. So it is uh, that level of exclusivity, but maybe at a deeper level, it's um, the ability to form connections or kind of interact with people of a, a certain ilk or people that are... Um, and, and ultimately, it's these relationships that can compound into bigger things. And, and so that's a lot of the allure is what group you're in. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. I can see it working quite well with like a podcast, actually. Like you, you have a token and you can kind of say, vote on things. Like, oh, I'd love for you to interview again, again. And then you just, you know, have a bit more of a... I think that's where the power lies is like it's, it's, it's less of like a... Because you don't really gain you know, access to people through an NFT. You can just message anybody, you know, on Facebook or WhatsApp or Twitter. Um, but what you do gain, I guess, is like a authority to vote. Maybe you just have one voice with that token or mm. yeah. the thing, the thing I'm scared about though, is just like people who are, you know, more wealthy have more tokens and then it, it kind of doesn't fulfill its promise of like, you know, revolutionizing everything. It's just like, if you have more tokens, you have more say and things like that. Yeah, I I, I hear you. Um, but you know, how crazy it was that just even one year ago, you know, May 2021, like board apes kind of blew up. So you or I could have put a few hundred dollars and, and gotten a board ape then. Um, and now they're, you know, the, the tennis maybe. Uh, yeah. Well, even- uh, now she's, I don't even know, hundred plus, but, um, you know, in, in that sense, it's, it is a little bit, uh, democratized. Um, so those who are maybe early and I, and I still think that there are a ton of potential future blue chip projects. Um, and so that's ideally what we're trying to solve with this product is making it easier to, uh, to discover and buy those. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really compassionate, um, angle on your project is making sure that people don't get like duped into buying the next ape when it's yeah. actually probably going to go nowhere. Everybody's buying or making the next ape. And yeah, there's so much saturation now. So, uh, you know, whether people are calling it a bear market or not, uh, it's not as, uh, as frothy of a market as it was, you know, like in 2021. Um, but I think it will come back. And, and as you've mentioned, like, the use cases and, and and the market, those who are holding NFTs, I think will only increase because um, in some ways, you know, their hand will be forced and it's, uh, it will be a necessity. And in some ways it's like what we have now will only expand. Yeah. No, I'm keen to see it. Yeah. I just want to pivot slightly. You're a very experienced authority in e-commerce, you know, Jungle Scout, Prehook, and now you're going into NFTs. From my perspective, I'm, I'm slightly worried about e-commerce because of climate change like I, I the more and more i learn about the planet the more and more i think like this 
society that we live in won't be the same in 20 years. You know, will we be selling cosmetics like as aggressively as we do now? Um, or are we going to be um, spending less time on computers and more time in the real world? What do you, what do you foresee about the sustainability and the longevity of e-commerce? That's a good question. I don't think it's going anywhere in terms of like, whether it's Amazon or Shopify, people building their own um, their own stores and selling direct to consumers. I don't think it'll go anywhere. But what you're talking about, like the environmental impact and sustainability, I think that's another, like a slightly different topic um, or issue. And that will change. And I think we're seeing customer sentiment show that, that there is more of an, an importance and priority on uh, like brands that kind of espouse their sustainable nature or um, who focus on on things kind of like at a grander scale, larger than just selling more widgets. And, and so one example, one example here is Patagonia. You know, Patagonia is doing a lot in terms of like how they position their brand and um, even not even selling selling new stuff. I think, you know, they've like don't do Black Friday sales because they say nobody needs more stuff. Um, but the point is that the uh, sustainability sustainability will probably increase in terms of like how brands are like thinking about it. Um, but I don't think that it will necessarily have an impact on um, like the upside or the frequency of people buying online. I, I honestly think that that will probably only increase. Um, and we're seeing that now, whether you look at um, retail stores or malls or um, just how uh, Amazon Prime's numbers are going up, that's only because like it, it has become so obscenely easy to buy online um, and to um, to kind of like choose your like what you're buying and why. Yeah, no, I think you're dead right, and you know it, it's it's another thing, I guess, moving from more to brick and mortar to online stores. But what I'm concerned with is like, you have, I mean, like Shopify started only, you know, half a decade ago. You now have 17 year olds who are like, oh, I can just make a seven figure business. I think that the the trend is very interesting to me of all of these new young entrepreneurs coming in, building uh, stores. We're, we're kind of convincing ourselves that this is the thing to do, you know, buy more stuff. Mm. Um, but, but it's, but it's like, it's very interesting because Shopify themselves are kind of, um, sustainable and they, you know, have, have like reforesting programs and things like that while at the same time, um, you know, encourage like a hyper capitalism. I know you don't work at Shopify. It's kind of a, it's not, not really your business, but it is just interesting to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I hear you. Uh, it's a conundrum and we're seeing this now with like, you know, supply global supply chains are are being impacted. Um, food prices, commodity prices, uh, it, it's becoming more. It's impacting us on an individual level more. Mm. Where maybe we're realizing that that the system at a high level is rather fragile and susceptible to big changes, um, or or thing changes you know like far away like uh, Ukraine and Russia and how that's going to impact um, the ability to to plant basic crops, soy, soy and corn and stuff. And, and that will be, you know, seven months down the line, food prices are going to be higher. So maybe, you know, focusing on less as you're saying, and then also more of like a, uh, less of 
importing, let's say from China or a reliance on some of these things from overseas. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily in that strong in global economics, but it, we're all being impacted on an individual basis, you know, every day. So I think you're, you're spot on. Yeah, you're, you're right to, um, I think Ukraine grows 20% of the world's uh, wheat for flour. So that's going to be pretty crazy in a few, yeah. in a few months. I guess e-commerce does encourage um, small businesses and therefore kind of local spending. So, so that's kind of interesting um, for the environment. Like the supply chain is um, incredible. I guess when I started in e-commerce, I didn't really understand just how many New Zealand, New Zealand online stores are just drop shipping. Oh, yeah. That was an insane realization, just going through, you know, the the stores that I would visit normally and being like, that's definitely just coming straight from China. Oh, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And and it's like made in New Zealand, you know. But, it's like Apple. But yeah. Designed yeah, in yeah. California, made in China. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I guess like even just understanding that I'm I'm hopeful for customers to become more, you know, aware and, uh, you know, shop locally and uh, save the environment in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, indeed. I know we've we've kind of squirreled around a bit. Yeah, I kind of wanted to touch on all of the future topics at the end, and now we've 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 scattered them through. Uh, yeah, no, it it was a lot of fun. I, I love a wide ranging conversation, uh, but I, I do think e commerce and uh, customer experience, customer data is kind of like the, a common thread here. So, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think um, the internet itself, and and I'm keen to see what Web three does in this area as well, of just upskilling customers, you know, mm-hmm. um, the more that people know, the more, you know, uh, educated our society is, the better it's going to be for everybody. So do you, do you see any web three projects that are societally improvable or improving mankind? Yeah, 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 yeah totally. I'm trying to think of some, I've, I've seen some kind of like social impact DAOs. Um, cool, cool. So a, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization, basically like, um, taking the web three and, and, um, organizing people around a, a common mission. And so I think for that, yeah, for sure. Um, and then also there are just different coins, like everybody, uh, there are a lot of, uh, challenges and concerns with Ethereum and its impact on the environment. Uh, another coin that's specifically kind of built around, uh, environmentally friendly stuff is Tezos. Um, yeah, yeah. so I'm not, I'm not that familiar with it, but I do know that like the environment is something um, that everybody is is thinking about with Ethan, uh, certainly think about as it relates to um, to money because it's it's kind of correlated to gas fees, and so gas fees can certainly spike as more people are running transactions. Um, so yes, I, I have, um, but I'm not that familiar with it. But I do know that uh, people are using Web three as a way to galvanize people around environmental uh, causes. Yeah, yeah, that's. Um... DAOs are really interesting. Do you think that um, you know companies like your own would would utilize a DAO, or how do you think it actually maps onto like you know real hierarchies in companies? Yeah, you know we we've toyed with the idea of doing it as a DAO, uh, but haven't yet. And I think like there are there are technicalities and, and stuff that might complicate it. But the benefit is that you're um, you're getting uh, like more of a collective power. So that could be economic power where people are like, you know, I'll buy in for a thousand bucks and then therefore we can pool our money and do something really cool with it. So, you know, whether it was last year, people uh, all buying in like, Hey, let's buy a, an original copy of the constitution and raise like, you know, $40 million in, in 48 hours. 
or there's a you know links DAO that's putting pulling money to buy golf courses, um, and and in putting in money, then you're you're kind of like investing in this. Um, so I do think that there's definitely going to be uh, like a, a lot of applications for it, uh, and we were considering it. Um, haven't yet, but the the notion of having a, a collective group power is really cool, um, and so we almost think of it like an equivalent of raising outside funding, you know, like say venture funding, um, except it's crowdfunded. So yeah, we've considered it kind of like at a high level. Uh, and I think we'll probably see more, more brands do it. Yeah, no, it is. It is very interesting. I'm keen to see it too. More, more governance and, and voting power is pretty cool. Just going to step backwards a bit. This is actually was going to be my first question, but when you were, when you were discussing how you started with Jungle Scout and um, pre-hook, you know, you, you brought up in New York, moved to San Francisco, and now mm-hmm. you're in Austin. So I've had a similar sort of move around in my life. I want to know how, you know, moving so many times has impacted how you live your life and if there's any lessons that you've had from moving so much. Yeah, great question. Um, well, so I, I've moved far more times. I didn't want to- Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Go, go into it, go into the it. list. Um, but I, yeah, I, I spent my first 18 years in, in New York and then went to college in the East Coast. Um, but probably like one of the, the best- times of my life was like in 2017 when, you know, I had like a one-year-old baby and it was me and my wife and her and we'd, uh, San Francisco was getting very expensive at the time. It was like the peak of rent. Uh, and we we're like, why are we paying so much to live in a one bedroom and living in a one bedroom with a newborn is, is hard. So, um, we, we packed up and, and moved out and decided to kind of like live as digital nomads. It's always been a dream of mine is, um, you know, if you're working remotely, you can live anywhere. And so uh, we went to Europe and, and we we're in like uh, Paris and Barcelona and Berlin and Stockholm and um, all these like places that I thought were like amazing. Um, and I was living there and working there and life was good. And we just had, uh, you know, like one suitcase each, not a lot. And so it, it just like the, the moving part, uh, we were settled here and we live in a small house in Austin. Um, but you know, like I, I'm kind of simple. I don't need a whole lot to be happy and, um, certainly don't need a lot of trinkets or or things. In fact, I, I like less things, uh, simplifies, uh, my life. And, um, and so I, I, I think it distilled down what's really important. And, And so at that time it was, uh, living together, together and like exploring and kind of like having these adventures. So, um, that's probably the main takeaway is, where you're deriving your your like happiness or energy from, and for me, I find like more things kind of just becoming uh, more of a headache and, and adding to more clutter. So yeah, I I, I like simple. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that's really um, Nietzsche says amor fati, like you have to love your own fate. So if you if mm-hmm. you know if you know what you what you thrive on, like you know that you prefer less things, then you can just lean into that. I'm totally on that buzz, dude. Um, just, just don't need anything really. Small, yeah. small backpack. Fast Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast yeah. Wi-Fi. Yeah. He- headphones, power. <laughs> yeah. The 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 trade-off with the digital nomad thing, because I've done it for a few years now, is just you know balancing um, novel experiences. Um, you know, in like a new city, you can you can you can rock up, find a flat pretty quickly. Um, you can work, do the same thing you've been doing the whole time, but then it's like, um, finding a community 
in that city. I found that like even being incredibly extroverted, like it's, it's, it's so difficult. Um, yeah. but, but can be incredibly rewarding as well. If you find those people that you love. Um, totally. And, and that's why I think like maybe at minimum a month or three weeks in one place is good. Um, because bouncing around, like if you're, if you're really oh, yeah. trying to work and maintain the, the focus and productivity of a, your normal day to day, um, while exploring, it's very hard to cram into less than a month. Um, and, and, and I think that's also where you get into a little bit of uh, a local routine and you might find the, the restaurants that you like, the coffee shops you like, you might find some interesting people. Uh, but absolutely, that's that's a hard thing of being transient is um, is ultimately it's about people. You know, So um, I've never done it solo, um, but I was in a group called the Dynamite Circle where you know, they, they focus on being location independent entrepreneurs, um, people doing online stuff, great group. Uh, and so that's kind of like one of the main premises of it is like, how can you live your best life while working remotely? And I mean, what, what, what do they say? Well, uh, one of the helpful things is what cities are good. You know, Austin is popular there. Um, Mexico city is a, a very good, um, no digital nomad hub. Uh, Lisbon is good for kind of quality of life and cost. And of course, mm. Southeast Asia, um, Thailand, yeah. Bali, Vietnam, you can do the, the, your, your currency and in my case, the dollar, uh, goes far. So you're able to, um, to live a, a nice life at a low cost of living. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I'll throw my hat in the ring. I'd say if you're going to do the digital nomad thing, you should go to, uh, rock climbing gyms. And martial arts dojos, because you'll you'll meet some lovely people there, or like a community garden. But I, I spent like you know a, a year in London just trying to trying to learn that lesson. I I didn't really get oh, there yeah. till, till the very end. The best uh, digital nomad experience was in Kenya, where you just can't help but make friends just walking down the street. Um, oh, nice. That, okay. That's like that's that's what you're saying as well. Is like you go there will be some cities where people are just far more receptive to. Um, new people mm. you know in nairobi yeah. um mombasa it's kind of just uh alien to be walking down the street um and a guy would come up to me you know at least once a day and be like hey what are you doing who are you you want to play a game of basketball you want to come meet my dad and it's just like this is this is not something i'm used to totally um, so totally. crazy I, i'm so cynical i'd be like what are you trying to do what, yeah exactly what exactly me? yeah uh, you're trying to like me? That, that, that's the beauty of uh, getting outside of your your normal comfort zone is like, that's just, people are just generally nice and welcoming. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, 99% of people just want to have tea, kids and laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to touch on again? Um, we've covered a, a nice little range of topics there. No, I, you know, like I, I had a great time. Thanks so much for the, the conversation and having me. Um, if there's anybody that is interested in learning more about how zero party data works and and a quiz and e-commerce strategy, whatever. Happy to talk. Um, my email is gen, G-E-N at prehook.com. Feel free to add it to the show notes or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, like help as much as possible. So it was a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Connor. Hey, no worries. Thanks for coming. I think uh, your email shout out is a, is a beautiful um, thing to do. Most people put the, the Twitter handle. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I hope that people reach out to you and ask good questions. So it's it's nice to see that you're you want to you know share your expertise. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, well, I'll uh, I'll let you get back to uh, sunny Austin and 
Hope you have a lovely day. Likewise. Thanks, Connor. All right. Take these again. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Debutify Podcast. If you want to be part of the show, just email us podcast at debutify.com or head over to debutify.com to learn more. Have a great day and good luck with everything.